Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Thanks for that. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. I'm feeling a little weary and it's only uh, morning too. So um, some of you might be feeling a little bit weary as well. So I'm going to pray for some focus um, as we open uh, God's Word together. So will you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day, uh, another day uh, in the world that you have made. Uh, You're the sovereign Lord, so you have granted us this day. And Lord, we pray that uh, today that we might... Uh, have open hearts uh, to what your word has to say. Uh, Lord, we pray that you uh, might speak to us. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that we might see clearly from your word that uh, salvation comes from you. And Lord, we uh, pray for those who might be feeling a bit weary, uh, that you might give us the energy we need uh, to get through this day and make the most of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the things as human beings that we value the most, I reckon, is our independence, Uh, particularly here in New Zealand. I think we we, we kind of peg our independence as one of the highest virtues. Uh, I remember the day clearly uh, when I got my driver's license. Uh, It was the 4th of January, just uh, the anniversary was yesterday, but it was 22 years ago, 1998. Uh, Now, it was the 4th of January, I can remember it well, because when I got my driver's license, it would always renew on the year, on the date that you got your license the first time. Uh, And it was the 4th of January because it was the first possible day I could sit my driving exam after the kind of Christmas New Year break. Uh, At the time, my family was on holidays two hours away from where we lived, Uh, but it was so important to me uh, to get this driver's license. I I convinced my mum to drive me the two hours back uh, so I could sit the test. And I'm not sure if it's the same here, but where I grew up, Uh, We're all kind of doing our driver's tests around the same time and the rumour mill is in full swing about how to go about it and what your best chances are. Uh, There was one rumour which was they always failed boys on the first attempt to keep them humble. 
Um, there was another that was, there was a quota. They had to do a certain number of tests a month. So if you went at a quiet time in a quiet month, uh, you're probably going to fail so they can keep their quota up, so they can keep the budget for next year. Uh, there was one that was a not-so-nice rumour. Uh, there was an infamous examiner at the local motor registry called Big Judy. And if she sat down in the car next to you, you never passed first time. Or so everyone said. And so I turn up. I'm a boy. Strike one. I'm doing my test at the quietest time of the year. It's the 4th of January, for goodness sake. Strike two. And guess who sits in the car next to me? <laughs> Big Judy. Uh, well, all's well is that ends well. I got uh, my license. I aced the test. And I walked out of there in my little hand with my freshly printed driver's license. And I could get in the car for the first time in my life and I could drive wherever I wanted. I had this, this independence. I could go wherever I wanted. I could go whenever I wanted. I could do whatever I wanted. This independence, it was exhilarating. It lasted for about 15 minutes before I had to go and pick mum up from the shops and then uh, drive, get driven back to our family holiday. But we love our independence, don't we? We love the OE. Uh, we love moving out for uni or polytech. We love getting our first job and that first paycheck or buying our first car. We love our independence. But as we saw in Jonah chapter 1, pursuing independence isn't always a good thing. Jonah tries to be independent of the sovereign Lord. Uh, Jonah heard what God said, but Jonah thought to himself, I know best. I know what needs to be done. I'll do it my way. Thanks very much. I'm going it alone. Uh, and in chapter 1, we discover very quickly that Jonah's attempt to be independent of God, it was a huge mistake. And the reason it was such a mistake is, as we saw yesterday, God is the sovereign Lord. His power is inescapable. There is nowhere on this earth where you can escape from God. He's the God who made the sea and the dry land. Uh, and we see in chapter 2 that not only is God the sovereign Lord, but we see in chapter 2 that God is the gracious Saviour. Uh, this morning's passage begins with Jonah, uh, our prophet, uh, inside the belly of a huge fish, kind of sitting in there amongst some half-digested fish food, and he sits, kind of, he's sitting there, and he's got some time to reflect on his life choices. And he has a moment to consider how he got to where he was. Now, I don't know whether you've ever had that moment sitting on the side of the highway after a failed road trip or something. you just got a lot of time there to think about how you got to be where you were. And Jonah realizes that as he was sinking to the bottom of the ocean floor, he realizes it wasn't the best idea to push God away. He realizes it was a mistake to think he could go it alone, that he could seek independence from the Lord. And as he sinks to the bottom of the ocean floor, he realizes, Jonah realizes, he isn't drowning uh, in the water. He's actually drowning in his sin and his rebellion from God. He's drinking in the consequences of seeking independence from God. And it's from inside the belly of this fish that Jonah prays this prayer of thanksgiving we have in chapter 2. And you might notice this uh, prayer, it's, it's much like a psalm, it's set out differently in your Bible. It's a poem, it's poetic. And it's worth uh, stopping for a moment to realize a few things about poetry and how it works. Um, roses are red, violets are blue, sometimes poems rhyme, but this one doesn't. Um, there's more to poetry than just a few rhymes. Uh, one of the things that poetry does for us in literature is it, it, it makes us slow down. It makes us slow down and smell the flowers. It eases the pace of information so that we can focus on a few important ideas, so that we can explore them from different angles. 
Uh, and if poetry is not your thing, I know some of you are looking at me like, poetry, come on. Maybe rugby is your thing. Uh, poetry is like the slow motion replay. It's where like a, there's a massive game-changing play, maybe the World Cup is on the line, and they'll show a replay, a slow motion replay from many angles so we can better appreciate and understand what is going on. And that's a bit like what's going on here in chapter 2 of Jonah. I don't know whether you realize, but chapter 1 was hectic. The action was fast and furious. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. Nineveh, Jonah jumps on a boat. He runs away from God. God throws a massive storm. And this happens in the first four verses of chapter 1. And then the sailors panic. They interrogate Jonah. They throw Jonah into the sea. They begin to worship the Lord. And the prophet is rescued by a giant fish. That's the next 13 verses. It's all so fast-paced. And now Jonah's experienced his salvation. And and the whole of chapter 2 is set in the one place inside the belly of a fish, as Jonah is slowing things down, as he's basking in the salvation that he's experienced from God. It's like a good whiskey or a glass of red wine. This, this psalm here, it helps us to savour, to, to drink in the salvation that Jonah has seen, that Jonah has experienced. And Jonah, he, the writer of Jonah wants us to see that salvation Salvation only comes from the Lord, that God is a gracious Saviour. So let's look at what Jonah prayed. Uh, There's three main themes in this psalm. Uh, God judges, God hears, and God saves. God judges, God hears, and God saves. The first thing uh, to the notice, uh, God judges, uh, the first thing is that Jonah isn't, um, he's not wondering about how he ended up here. Jonah knows it was, the, it was the Lord who brought this on him. He knows that he's experienced the judgment of God. God judges. Have a look with me at verse 3. Verse 3, Jonah's praying to God. He says, You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The currents, in the, the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. You see, Jonah's under no illusions as to who is in control here. Uh, He didn't kind of pick the wrong day to go out on the boat. You know, he should have got his Met Service app out and checked the weather before. No, Jonah knows he's experiencing the judgment of God. And there's this interesting movement that takes place in uh, chapters 1 and 2 of of Jonah. In in chapter 1, as Jonah runs from God, it's presented as going down. We get all these downward movements in chapters 1 and 2. Uh, So in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And again in verse 5, Jonah had gone down below deck, and he lay down, and he went into a deep sleep. He just keeps going down and down and down. He's going down and down and down, trying to get further away from God. And we see that in chapter 2, God actually starts to give Jonah what he wants. He hands Jonah over to his desire to go down and be away from him, to get it far away from him. And uh, So take a look at verse 3 of chapter 2. You hurled me into the deep. And then verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. You see, God judges. God's judgment here is actually giving Jonah what he wants. God says, you want to run from me, Jonah? 
fine. Here is what it is really like to be away from me, to be away from my presence. I remember hearing the story of what happened when my uncle uh, was caught smoking 14. Uh, I do not recommend this. Um, if you did this, you would rightfully have Oranga Tamariki on your case. Um, but what my grandpa did at the time was he gave my uncle, my 14-year-old uncle, a, a packet of cigarettes and he locked him under the stairs. And he said, you are not coming out until you've smoked every last one. You want to smoke? Well, you're going to smoke until it makes you sick. He gave him over to what he wanted. My uncle never smoked again. God says to Jonah, you want to run away from me? I'll send you further away from me and my blessing than you can imagine. I'll give you what you want to the point where you regret it. And sure enough, Jonah did. He rebelled against the holy God. He refused to listen to his word. He thought he knew best and then he got what he asked for. He was handed over to his sin, to his rebellion against the holy God. I just want to stop for a moment to to talk about, there's a a pretty toxic idea about sin uh, that floats around many churches these days. It's where where sin is no longer talked about as... um, that we're rebels against the holy creator God and that we deserve nothing but God's wrath and condemnation for our wickedness. Sin's not talked about in those terms. It it starts to be talked about, sin is framed as failing to reach your potential. Sin is framed as just bad thinking or, sorry, bad choices or negative thinking. And these bad choices and this negative thinking, it, it gets in the way of you fulfilling the purpose and the potential that God really has in store for you. And if you want to th- think about sin that way, then you look, you look at Jonah's failure here just as negative thinking. Jonah's problem was he didn't have a big enough vision of what God had in store for him, of what God might do for him. But that's not, that's not what's going on here, is it? Did Jonah run away from God because he didn't believe that God could make him a successful preacher in Nineveh? Did Jonah run away from God because he was scared of opening himself up to all that God had in store for him? Did Jonah just need a bigger view of God and what God had planned for his life? No way. Jonah ran from God because he was a rebel. He heard God's word and like Adam and Eve in the garden and every single person since, he heard God's word and he thought he knew better. He shoved God off the throne and he took his seat and he put the crown on his head and he decided that he would be the one calling the shots. It's not a failure for him to realize his potential, it's, it's treason. It's rebellion, it's rejection of the sovereign and holy God. And it's only when we realize how serious this sin is, how offensive it is, how tragic it is that puny creatures like us shake our fists at our Creator, only when we realize the seriousness of what we've done, then we have a hope of being changed. And for Jonah, he realizes the consequences by literally drinking in the judgment of God as, the, as his lungs fill with water. And it brings about this dramatic change here in chapter 2. In the belly of the great fish, he is praying to God, thanking Him for His rescue. Thanking Him for the salvation that comes from the Lord. And that's quite a turnaround. Have a look there in verse 9. Can you imagine Jonah saying this in chapter 1? Verse 9 of chapter 2. But I, 
with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Uh, there was a saying in World War I that there are no atheists in foxholes. A uh, foxhole was a little hole in the ground where you hid while people shot at you. Uh, when you're all alone, stuck in a hole in the ground and everyone around is trying to kill you, all of a sudden your need for God becomes crystal clear. And we could say the same thing about Jonah. There are no atheists sinking to the ocean. You see, when Jonah finds himself swamped by the waves and sinking to the ocean floor, he begins to see things clearly again. He realizes that God doesn't need him, but that he needs God. He needs God's help, and so he calls out to God. And God hears. God hears. God hears Jonah's distress call. Uh, Have a look with me in verse 2. Verse 2, he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. And then jump down to verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. You see, when Jonah's chips are down, Jonah calls on God and God hears him. Uh, in 2012, there was a sailor named Glenn I. He was, um, he was stuck for nine days uh, in a yacht with a broken mast uh, 400 kilometers off the coast. Uh, Glenn says that his boat was hit by a huge wave and it snapped his mast in two. And if that wasn't bad enough, the mast was kind of precariously hanging by the side of the boat and it was kind of being used as a battering ram by the waves, uh, threatening to kind of put a hole in the side of his boat. It took him 18 hours to detach the mast before it sunk the boat. Uh, once he passed overboard, he powered up his motor and started heading for land, but the wind and the waves were so uh, against him that he realized later that he was actually going backwards. Uh, and then his fuel ran out. At which point, after all of that, he finally sets off his EPIRB, a, a GPS distress beacon that he had sitting there in the boat. He could have done it sooner, couldn't he? He said it was a bit of a sailor's pride. It was only when he felt like he was as good as dead that he, then he finally set off the distress beacon. And two commercial aeroplanes flew over and there were passengers with binoculars looking in the sea to find him and eventually they found him and a rescue team brought him home. Uh, he gave his mum and dad a hug, he had a milkshake and a custard tart and vowed never to go to sea again. But the crazy thing for this guy, Glenn, is why did he wait so long? Why did he wait till it was almost too late? He had the emergency beacon there in the boat the whole time, just sitting there, looking at it. He was too proud to use it. His sailor's pride got in the way. He thought he could sort it out for himself. And it sounds a bit like Jonah. And I wonder if it sounds a bit like you. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. A lot of you... Your life is smooth sailing at the moment. Everything's wonderful. Great. Praise God. But because everything's so wonderful, maybe you don't think you need God's help. Life is going well, so you can just keep God on the bench and keep Him out of the way. Or maybe there are a few storms, a few bumps. But we don't invite God in because we don't want to appear weak. We want to get through ourselves. We want to maintain that independence that we love. Or maybe even you're drowning. 
The whole lot is sinking to the bottom of the ocean and you refuse to ask God for help. Whatever your distress, Jonah chapter 2 tells us that God will hear your call. God will hear your call. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. God will hear your call and he will answer. Because this is the God that saves. Because as Jonah experiences, he experiences God's salvation, the God who saves. Have a look in verse 6. Verse 6, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up out of the pit. You see, Jonah was going down. He's going down and down and down away from God. And then he went down further still as God gave him over to his sin. And then you see there, but you brought my life up. God hears Jonah's prayer. He saves him and he reaches down into the depths and he lifts him, him up. He restores him. And this psalm, it finishes on this great high note in verse, five, verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, I have no doubt that Jonah knew that to be true before he set foot in that boat to Tarshish. He knew that as the boat was breaking up around him in the storm. But now Jonah has learned a significant lesson. He has tasted for himself God's grace and God's salvation. The salvation that he knew in theory, he has now experienced in reality. And so now maybe just after experiencing that salvation comes from the Lord, maybe Jonah is now ready to go to Nineveh. Maybe he's ready to share with them the grace that could be theirs if they called like he did. Maybe he's realized his own wickedness and that he's not actually all that different to the Ninevites after all. And is he willing now to go to his enemies and say that salvation comes from the Lord? Well, we'll have to wait and see. But because for now there's a few questions that this poem of Jonah's, uh, it poses for us. And the first is this, you know the truth, you know the truth that salvation comes from the Lord, but do you live that truth? See, there's a massive difference between knowing the truth and living the truth, isn't there? All the things that Jonah said while he was inside the fish, verse 9, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah knew all of this before he set foot on that boat. Jonah knew that God was the sovereign Lord. He knew that he would bring judgment and justice on the wicked. He knew it all. But even though he knew it, he didn't live it. Even though he knew it, it didn't stop him from trying to run away from God. And at that point, we can be a lot like Jonah. We can know the truth about what God has done for us in Jesus, but it doesn't mean that we live it out. We can know that we've been saved from our sin, but our lives, they don't show it. We can know that good works won't save us, yet ourselves with pride for all that we have done for God. And we look down our noses at those who don't seem to be doing as much. Jonah is a walking example that you can, that, that, that simply knowing the right stuff in your head, 
it doesn't make a difference unless it has penetrated your heart and changes what you do with your hands. You see, it's not what you know, but it's all about who you trust, who you obey, who you're going to let call the shots. It's about, it's about your heart. Now, if your house is on fire, don't want your house to be on fire, but imagine it is. Imagine your house is on fire and, and you know heaps, you've done a physics degree, you know heaps about thermodynamics and you know a bunch of stuff about fire behavior. And you, you, know, you even know the phone number for the fireman. You've got all this information in your head, but until you pick up that phone and dial 111 and ask the fireman to come and rescue you and save your house, until you do that, it's all going up in smoke. All that knowledge, all that information, it's, yeah, it's, it's lovely to have, but it means nothing until you ask for help. And so I wonder, are you someone who knows the right stuff? Maybe you go to a great Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching church. Maybe you're from a family. Your dad might even be a pastor. Maybe you can explain the gospel and you can even do it like those really cool kids who use those six boxes and you can, like, you've got that nailed. Uh, maybe you're even here at Equip doing Strand 27 or something. Um, you know all the right stuff, but you've never called out to God for help. You're still trying to go it alone. You're still trying to live independently from God. If that's you, learn this lesson from Jonah. Don't just know the truth but live the truth. Don't just know that salvation comes from the Lord. Come to the Lord and be saved. Because this salvation has already been won. Jesus has done it all for us. See, Jonah's experience of salvation in the belly of the fish, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus. If you, if you turn your Bible over to Matthew chapter 12, uh, it's a bit easier to find than Jonah. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees, um, the religious leaders of the day, uh, their hostility with Jesus has begun to burst out into the open. And, and so they lay an ultimatum down to Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Verse 38, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that this experience of Jonah, it ought to be a sign for us, a sign pointing to the way that God will save us, uh, for Jonah, it was three days in the belly of a whale. For, for Jesus, it was three days in the grave. But there's a difference here. The difference is that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish because he deserved it. But Jesus, he spends three days in the heart of the earth, three days in the grave, because we deserve it. The time Jesus spends in the grave, uh, he went there so that you don't have to. He has gone through the grave for you. And so all we need to do is to call out to God, who is our gracious Saviour. Because Jesus has already gone to the grave for you. 
Um, you might know there's this game that uh, kids play. It's called Mercy. Have you ever... Do you know that name? Uh, it's a little bloodthirsty. I thought it might have just been an Australian thing. Um, but we used to do it as, as like little kids in our house. And, and what you do in the game of Mercy is you take turns at pinching the skin on the other person's hand as hard as you can. You squeeze as hard as you can until they say the word mercy, until they've had enough. And like they're almost in tears. Uh, and then when they say mercy, then you let them go. And, and your pride as the victim, uh, the challenge would be to keep going and going and going and putting up with the pain and never calling mercy no matter what. And if, if you were that person, if you could hold on and never call mercy, then you win. With God, the rules are the opposite. If that's you, you lose. If you never cry for God's mercy, you lose. And that's the game that Jonah has been playing up until this point. But finally, at last, he has surrendered. But how about you? Is that the game you're playing with God? Never calling on His mercy. Have you surrendered to this gracious Saviour? I'm going to finish with these words from Hebrews chapter 4. Our church has been going through Hebrews and it's, um, it's just been brilliant actually. So I want to finish with these uh, words from Hebrews chapter 4. I hear these words. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Come to God, the gracious Saviour, and receive His mercy. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your words that remind us that we are in need of your mercy, that you have offered us salvation in your Son, Jesus, that you have given us the sign of Jonah, that through three days in the grave, Jesus has saved us. He has gone to the grave for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us to receive it by surrendering our independence to you. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can see the band has appeared behind me. Uh, We're going to sing a song.